He's a great cartoonist, and we're going to find out why. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary, and these are our incredible stories. Hello and welcome back to all of our listeners from around the world and across the United States. We are so happy to have you back with us again for some more incredible stories. Now, I I, I see some people coming in here. Uh, oh, you look like you're new. Come on in. Join us. <laughs> if you like listening to uh, incredible stories, well, guess what? You, you found the right place. Go ahead and kick up your feet. Make yourself comfortable. I'm sure that you've got some beverages in your refrigerator, so please enjoy. That's compliments on the house. And uh, listen, if you like what you hear, go ahead and hit like and subscribe. And every Friday, we will treat you, no no money necessary, nothing out of your pocket, we will treat you to a free episode every Friday of Richard and Gary's Incredible Stories. Nope, no thanks necessary. It's completely on us. Now, that being said, uh, we do have an incredible story. We have an incredible person, don't we? Yes, we do. And I tell you what, uh, he comes with a background from uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. So, Gary, uh, assist me in welcoming to the podcast Mr. John Graziano. John, welcome. welcome. Hi. Nice to be here. Yes. uh, We have been looking forward to our conversation with you for a long time because uh, what fascinates me, first of all, I have to tell you that Gary and I are both really into uh, nostalgia, the old things. Uh, and in classic movies, oh, you uh, you know, we're good for hours on the classic movies. But anything old, uh, anything nostalgic, 30s, 40s, or whatever, uh, we're really into that. And so one of the things that stands out with me uh, and your background <clears throat> is... Robert Ripley started doing the Believe It or Not cartoons back in 1918. And by my mm-hmm. my mental math, uh, that's uh, about 104 years ago. And you, you are only the seventh person to take up the Ripley's pen for the Believe It or Not cartoons. That's correct, yeah. Oh, wow. That, yeah, the look. <clears throat> You've got some bragging rights there, John. (laughs) Well, the longevity of the cartoon uh, is probably because it was interactive from the very beginning. You had people from all walks of life writing to Ripley and say, hey, I I grew this radish in in the garden and it looks like a human hand. (laughs) <laughs> and so right. you know and and you know and it's like uh there's the there's a map of uh uh africa on my dog uh you know behind <laughs> and that that's the kind of stuff that really drove uh you know the 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 cartoon at the beginning because it was interactive and it's always been interactive you know before anybody really used that term you know um, and I and noticed, then of course he, I noticed that a lot of folks, uh, you drew cartoons based on ideas that they sent in. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And when they can, they supply uh, photographic proof and, and testimonial because, uh, Ripley's was, you know, based on true facts. Sometimes he stretched it a little bit. But for the most part, everything was was true. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, they did their due diligence on their end. Well, back in the 1930s, Ripley's had a, a whole entire staff. He had ghost artists. He had researchers. Uh, his main researcher was Norbert uh, Perlroth from 1926 right up until the end. Uh, even after Ripley passed away in 1949, uh, Norbert still worked for King Feature Syndicate and, you know, uh, did, did all the, the research and, and everything on the, uh, on the facts themselves as they came in. Huh. Yeah. You never really think about all of the people behind uh, the scenes, you know. Oh. Typically, when you think about Ripley's, you just think about Robert Ripley. Yeah, but Ripley. there's a lot of people that really helped in that. But we're getting ahead of our story. Let's yeah. go ahead and take John way back to the very <clears throat> beginning where he grew up on the outskirts of Newark, New Jersey. Oh, familiar stopping grounds for you. Yeah. Uh, John, what is uh, familiar? What are the outskirts of New Newark, New Jersey? Well, we actually moved to Union. Okay. Uh, which was the suburbs. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad uh, was a uh, fire captain for the for the uh, Newark uh, Fire Department, and uh, after the riots in uh, 67, 68, um, we decided to move. Uh, it was it was kind of a scary scary time. I remember being a little kid watching the tanks and the military rolled down the street on Roseville Avenue. And uh, uh, back then, if you were a civil servant, you had to work in town. You had to live in town. So uh, they, they, uh, they made it so you could, you could move to the suburbs if you wanted to. So that's what we did. Yeah, Newark, New Jersey uh, plays big uh, in that era in, in my life also uh, because uh, we lived in Chatham, New Jersey, which is uh, both a suburb of Newark and, and New York City. And both my mother and father uh, had jobs in Newark. And we'd take the train, uh, the Erie Lackawanna mm -hmm. train in uh, to work and back. And I say we because that was my very first summer job as a 16-year-old teenager. Mm -hmm. I worked uh, in my dad's insurance company there on Broad Street in, uh, in Newark. And uh, I can recall back then, that was, um, you know, around 62, 62, somewhere in there, 63. Uh, so a few years before the riots changed everything. Uh, and yeah. it, yeah. Was, uh, uh, it was a, a great place. I mean, we would sometimes, uh, after, my, uh, uh, after work and I was with them, uh, with my summer job, we'd go to the, um, a, a great lobster restaurant right right there near the office there in Newark and have a, a great lobster dinner. And I remember one time taking messages down uh, to another office from somewhere. And I passed by this tavern where Dutch Schultz got gunned down <laughs> and, and the door was open. Oh. I was a 16 year old. The door was open. I couldn't go in. Of course, at the tavern. You could smell the alcohol, but I looked inside and there it was, you know, there it was the floor where Dutch Schultz landed after he got, machine gun to death there in that very spot. Jeez. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you and I uh, share a little bit of the same background there when we're talking about Newark, New Jersey. But uh, from there, from there, John, uh, how in the world did you ever get uh, hooked up with Ripley's in the first place? Okay, this is a great story. Um, 
I got hooked up with Ripley's because we won a car. <laughs> oh, that, that's a good enough reason. That's great. <laughs> okay, it was uh, it was 1978. I was like 15 years old, and we had never been to Florida. Never been. To, we were like one of the last. My sister and I were one of the last kids to to go to Disney World. You know, so my father had just bought a brand new Dodge Coronet, and then we get a phone call one night from uh, St. Michael's Church that we won the, the raffle for the brand new cars. It was a Chevy Caprice Classic, all fully loaded. Oh, oh wow. And so my father said, hell, we're selling the, 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 the car in it, and uh, I'm keeping this one. You know, it was like a honey, honey brown metallic. It was a really beautiful car, and it was big. So um, he sold the coronet, and he goes, you know what this means, right? He goes, we're going to we're going to Disney World, ah. and, and we're getting a color TV. Oh, oh. can you believe I didn't have a color TV until 1978? Wow! Oh, wow! So, um, so it was it was like heaven, you know. Sure. the The only thing was uh, on the way down. Uh, he would only use the AM radio, and I, I think I heard Barry Manilow's Copacabana about a thousand times. Oh, no. <laughs> and uh, that was a little torturous. But on the way down, uh, of course, when we get into Florida, they had the uh, billboards. And it's Ripley's Believe It or Not. And I was intrigued by that. Because I had known about the Ripley's books from, uh, you know, the Arrow Book Club. You know, the teacher would pass out the flyers and you'd yeah. order the book. Mm -hmm. And I had the Ripley's, believe it or not, true ghost stories and plays. And in the back of the, of the book, it had cartoons. I was like, this is really cool. And uh, so that piqued my interest. Uh, and then I said, hey, Dad, can we stop at this Ripley's uh, museum? He goes, sure. And um, it was in St. Augustine. And then I find out that that was the very first Ripley's Museum to ever open in 1950. So it, it was a castle. It was Castle Warden. And, uh, you know, supposedly it was haunted and all that. So I was hooked right away, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I got done with that museum that day, and got to learn about Robert Ripley and who he was and what he did. I was like, this is great. I couldn't wait to, you know, it was almost like Disney World. What's that? <laughs> you know? But I, 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 uh, when I got home from the vacation, one of the first things I did was find a couple of facts, draw them, you know, research them, write the captions, and I sent them into Ripley's headquarters. And I got a really nice letter back saying, um, these drawings are really good, and uh, we forwarded your letter to our corporate office in Toronto. So I got real excited, you know. Well, when, when the material got to Toronto, they realized, you know, this is a kid. 
doing this, right? <laughs> this is a kid. So, so they sent me a very encouraging letter saying, uh, you should continue your education to become a professional and, you know, come see us again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I took that advice very seriously. I went to uh, the Newark School of Fine and Industrial Art, who was, it was almost in its 100th year. Mm. Oh, wow. And uh, that was a three-year uh, certificate program in pictorial illustration. So, and this was before computer-generated stuff, you know. So you had to really know what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so in in the interim, you know, I got involved with music, and I had a couple of bands together, and did that for a while. And then later on, I said, you know what? Let me see what Ripley's is is doing. Let me see what what's up with Ripley's, because now I, you know, I was married. I had a house. I was in Roselle Park. And I got the phone book. Yeah, the phone book. Remember those? Oh, I remember the phone book, the yellow pages. <laughs> yeah. So I look up Ripley's Believe It or Not. I mean, I, what did I know? You know, there was really there was no internet or whatever. So I see Ripley's Believe It or Not, Robert Whiteman, Polly Park Road, Rye, New York. I said, wonder what this is <laughs> so i had an idea i wanted to uh do panels of ripley's believe it or not different scenes and leave the heads off them so i if i went to a, a show to do caricatures i could just put the person's head in it's like you know so-and-so had uh, uh you know hair all over his body at the age of five or something like that you know funny stuff yeah so I called Bob Whiteman and I could tell he was elderly. He was a real Southern gentleman, you know, and uh, he was like, well, John, I don't know if we're really in the market for that right now, but uh, why don't you send me some of your material? (laughs) He was a really nice guy. Yeah. So uh, I sent some of my material to him and I think it was like, FedEx or whatever, he had me on the phone the next day. And he said that they had been unhappy with the artwork on the cartoon for a number of years. And uh, he goes, I don't know if there's an opening right now, but you know, basically they were, they were looking to move on and to something that looks more like the traditional Robert Ripley style. And the uh, the style at the time that was that was happening was more of a cartoony, humorous mm-hmm. type of thing, and they wanted to get away from that. So he had me come up to his house, Rye, New York, really nice nice place, and he proceeded to tell me that Robert Ripley hired him to be the licensing director for Ripley's Believe It or Not for the rest of his life. So he was involved in the licensing, like anything that came out, like in, in the sixties, they had like torture device, hobby kits and things like that. He had his hand in all of that. And oh wow, his partner at the time 
was this guy, uh, Pointer, I forget his first name. But their first project together was the Adams Family Thing Bank, where the hand comes out, snatches the coin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had one of those. I remember those. I have one. It doesn't work. They want 50 bucks to fix it. I'm like, uh, I'll just look at the box. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so automatically we, we hit it off with a lot of this stuff. And he owned the whole catalog for Liberty Magazine. So anything in Liberty Magazine was his, you know, um, the stories that they would make a movie out of and whatever. I think, I think Mr. Ed came from Liberty Magazine, if I'm not mistaken. But so basically that was 1999. And I worked with him for a couple of years on licensing items, freelance. You know, and uh, a lot of my ideas wound up in the in the museum gift shops, you know. So. After a little while, it was 2003. um, Whiteman calls me up and says. The uh, current artist for the cartoon quit. He's now doing Rose's Road, whatever. I said, okay. He goes, I called Norm Deska, who's the the VP at at Ripley's. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, yeah, we're looking for another cartoonist. He goes, why are you looking? You got Graziano here. He's already been doing stuff. Get him. So that's when it started. So my first cartoon panel was in 2004 and I did it for 17 years. Wow. Good thing my father won that car. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's incredible. Like, you know, the path that, that these things put you on. Oh, I know. I know. You know, I mean, if I only did this, if I only did that, but you know what though? I wanted to draw that cartoon panel since I was 15 years old mm-hmm. and I got to do it. Yes. Now, you. of course I, I retired from uh, Ripley's last year. It, it was, it was kind of bittersweet because I, I could have kept going a few more years, but they had some problems. Uh, the pandemic for one really, really did a number on them because their business is attraction based. If you don't have people coming into your museums and aquariums and they're, they're forced to shut down, uh, you have no revenue coming in. Oh yeah. You know, so they had a really trim to stay afloat. And then they had that bad, um, incident in Branson, Missouri, the, about six months before the pandemic lockdown where, uh, they had purchased an attraction called Ride the Ducks, and they were amphibious, uh, you know, vehicles from World War II. Oh. They would they would have a, a tour on land, and then they would take you out on the lake. Yeah, and it was a, it was a very good business. It was very successful, but after Ripley's purchased it, 
like I said, about six, six months before the pandemic lockdown, uh, one of the boats got caught in a squall on the lake and it sunk and it killed an entire family. Oh no. Plus others. Yeah. And they settled uh, privately. It didn't go to a jury and I'm sure it was millions and millions of dollars. Oh yeah. So, so that was, that was a sad uh, tragedy. And then six months later we had the pandemic lockdown and all the attractions were, were shuttered and uh, that wasn't good, you know? So my department was publishing and licensing and it went from, um, you know, 20 something people down to 11. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. dramatic. It, it was, uh, the only, the only upshot for me was that year I won the Rubin award for, uh, variety entertainment for Ripley's, which was a nice feather. Uh, you know, I was already out of there. I mean, I was out of there in July and then the Rubin awards came out in September and that was a good feeling, you know, it was a really good feeling, but, um, I'd like to tell you a few quirky things about Robert Ripley. Oh, absolutely. He has his birthday listed as December 25th, 1890. That's not correct. He changed his birthday because he wanted to be born on Christmas. <laughs> his real birthday is George Washington's birthday, February <laughs> really? 22nd. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's definitely bizarre. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it's uh, um, a recent uh, biography of him was very revealing. Um, uh, Neil Thompson did it, it was called uh, Robert Ripley, the, the Life and True Lies of Mr. Believe It or Not. <laughs> and Ripley was, he was still keeping the story alive, even after he was deceased, uh, it was noted that he died of a heart attack, <laughs> but it really was cirrhosis of the liver. Really? Yeah. He was a heavy drinker and, um, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So believe it or not. Believe it or not. <laughs> and then the, of course, you know, we had some, uh, he had some great, uh, believe it or not, early on, and that's why uh, William Randolph Hearst, Hearst took notice of him and offered him a contract. So he went from uh, the New York Globe to the New York Post, and he became syndicated. And then uh, Hearst was like, why don't you put a bunch of these together and do a book? And his, his reply to Hearst was, I'm just a five-cent man, you know? because of his lack of confidence in putting a book together. But right. he put the book together. It was published in January of uh, 1929. And it actually had, I, I believe, six printings alone in the first two months. Mm. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So during the Great Depression, Ripley was making 500000 a year 
Good. And wow. he became the first millionaire cartoonist. Isn't that something? Yeah. He had something there, you know? And I think if he believed in himself a little more, um, he would have done even better. Mm-hmm. Oh, without but, a doubt. You know, he was a shy guy. Uh, he started out as a baseball player, and he broke his arm. And uh, if he didn't break his arm, we might have never seen, believe it or not. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just like we were talking about before, about how you you don't know what path you're going to be on in life. That's true. And, uh, Things come now, up. Uh, Pardon me? Things come up and uh, your direction uh, goes off an entirely different path. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a little, you know, afraid of retirement at, at only age 60. But I'm getting to do other things now. I'm getting to do more freelance work. Uh, you know, I have a, a, a little business selling collectibles on eBay. And, you know, I've been, I've been doing that since 1999. It's, it's really a joy, you know, I'm going to get back to my 3d photography. Um, I started out as a Viewmaster fan, right. And I saw that somebody was selling in a state was selling a complete Viewmaster outfit from 1955 camera film cutter, blank reels, everything. And it's still making 35 millimeter film. And I get it developed and I just don't have them cut it. It's just in one strip because I have to cut the chips out with this little film cutter. Oh, wow. And I've been doing my own Viewmaster reels. It's really great. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that, the camera, back in 1955, that camera was a hundred dollars that's got to be a thousand dollars now oh easily easily right yeah there's there's two lenses so it's just like your eyes you know it takes two sets of you know pictures at a time and then you just cut the chips out insert them in the in the reels it's it's really it's unbelievable that's fantastic i had to take it to the next level because you know, there's only so many Viewmaster packets you can buy and enjoy, you know. Oh, sure. Uh, the Green Hornet, Batman, yeah. Voyage <laughs> to the Bottom of the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> All that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's... I, I love 3D photography. Uh, I actually have my degree in photography in my um, senior year uh, through the UCF program. I decided I was going to do... Um, 3d photography and but i did the um you know the red and blue um what is it called oh yeah the ana- anaglyph or whatever yeah they call ana- that. anaglyph photography and so i started doing that and i i started out doing that with uh 35 millimeter and then of course digital made it a little bit easier but uh i tell you yeah, what it's, yeah. it's a blast and uh you can have a lot of fun uh i i did the macro photography so i was doing like toy setups and stuff but uh but it's still i, oh, I know great. what you're talking about it's a lot of fun I had um, an idea at one point, uh, you know, Ripley's sells um, guidebooks at the, at the auditoriums. Yeah. I said, what if we did an interactive thing where 
we have cartoons placed around the museum and they're in 3D. So the, the customer would punch out the, the 3D glasses out of the guidebook and then they're able to see the cartoons in 3D. Oh, that would have been cool. That would have been so really I had, cool. So uh, I contacted Ray Zone and he was like the 3D guy that did comic books and everything. And he goes, oh, I love Ripley's. He goes, I could do a couple samples for you, one in color. I said, okay, well, our Sundays are in color, and one daily is in black and white. And he did them for me. Oh, wow. He didn't even charge me. Wow. So I showed them to a couple of the suits at work, and the reply I got was, well, isn't there a program that does that? <laughs> oh, gee. No, well, not like this. No, no. Ray does does it so everything is popping out at you, yeah. you know, and twisting around. And, you know, it's not a program. You know, this, there's a human element here. You know, he might use a computer, but he still cuts the things out and manipulates them in, a, in such a way that it's it's an art form. Yeah, you know? it is. Needless to say, uh, it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. That would have been fun. Well, and then Ray passed away about oh. five months after I contacted him. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can tell you, there, there's been numerous times where I've featured people in the cartoon like a couple that was married, uh, I don't know, a certain amount of time or whatever. And one of them would pass away the day the cartoon appeared. Oh, really? That's interesting. <laughs> it's happened more than once. Mm. Oh, wow. It, yeah, it's happened more than once. And, I, you know, it was like the curse. You know? Yeah, right? <laughs> the curse of belief yeah. or not. Because I've had, like, you know, coworkers come to me. John, remember that cartoon that you did of whatever? That guy died today, oh and the car just showed up. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> See, I believe that deserves its own. Believe it or not, right yeah. there. That's <laughs> wow. I just well, you, you know what? When it happened, like once or twice, I I just chalked it up to coincidence, and I didn't document it. But now that I think back on it, I should have really documented every incident mm -hmm. like that that happened. Oh yeah, because it really, really was crazy could have been a book yeah could have been, oh, have been. oh absolutely yeah, yeah uh john you've been uh, talking about <clears throat> some of the things you've done uh outside of uh ripley's can you tell us about uh say uh, dark shadows or the screen queens or the sculpture oh yeah uh, sure wax uh, museum pieces model here's kits? another great here's another great coincidence you know just like with ripley's uh I wanted to go back to take some industrial design courses at Pittsburgh Art Institute because Tom Savini, special effects guy, was doing um, some of the courses there. Well, it was a big disappointment because to be accredited, you had to take all this other stuff like drafting and like, I already took all that stuff. You know, I just wanted to do the special effects makeup stuff, you know. So I was only there for about half a year. But one day in the newspaper, 
Remember those newspapers? Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, back in the day, I saw an ad for just imagine collectibles and so on. And I said, "Oh, this is pretty close by. Let's go." Well, I walk in to just imagine collectibles, and the guy behind the counter looked very familiar, and it was. Bob Michelucci, who was, uh, he was in Day of the Dead, and his partners were all the people from Night of the Living Dead. No way. Romero. <laughs> I, I swear to God, because I had his book, Famous Monster of Filmland, about Forrest J. Ackerman. Yeah. And, and uh, I said, you're Bob Michelucci. He goes, yeah. I said, I said, I'm, I'm actually from New Jersey, and, uh, and I said, uh, I'm at the Art Institute here, but I don't know if I'm going to be staying uh, much longer, you know, because it's, it's not my thing. And he goes, well, what do you, what do, you do? So I, I came back with some stuff that I had worked on, and he goes, can you do, uh, can you do uh, Jack Davis? I said, yeah, absolutely. He's one of my idols. He goes, I want to do a series of trading cards uh, that look like they could have been the second series of You'll Die Laughing. You know, Funny Monsters from Tops 1959. Yeah. I said, okay. He goes, we could, we could write the gag. And he goes, well, you're going back to New Jersey. I said, I have a, I have a, a, a partner in New Jersey, Tim Ferranti. Tim Ferranti writes for Fangoria Magazine. And videoscope, and so when I got back to New Jersey, I met with Tim, and then we became the writing team for the for the "You Slay Me" card. That that was the title, "You Slay Me," and they were going to be like the Jack Davis Funny Monsters. Oh, that's and great! Turns out that Tim Tim and I are like brothers. Um. You know, we're still in touch. Uh, he's a dear friend. And both of us, our favorite movie is Journey to the Center of the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? Yeah, that's awesome. So we wrote all the gags. You know, we did special cards of us that, that could be autographed cards. And... Uh, it was. It turned out to be a cool little set. They're in little boxes, you know, illustrated boxes, horrifically humor-filled hard set. <laughs> and from there, it snowballed to other projects. Uh, Michelucci got the rights from Dan Curtis Productions to do Dark Shadows cards. The first card set we did was in color, and it was kind of elaborate. I mean, it was like a, an illustrated gold, so it looks like they're picture frames, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Around the still. And uh, those, those were good. But then I, I had the idea. I said, you know what? To me, nothing beats the 1960s. Eight 
69 Dark Shadow cards. There was a like a magenta bordered set. That was the first one. And they were basically almost like portrait cards, you know? Yes. Mostly a Barnabas with teeth out and all that kind of stuff. And, and then the second series was green and it had like scallop border of green. And they were, there was dialogue from the soap opera and different scenes. So I thought that was cool. And I said, what would it look like if Philly gum did a third series in 69? So I did orange border jaggedy edged and I got all the, the reference from Dan Curtis and I still don't know how I pulled this off because it was, it was 2001 and the whole, you know, Photoshop thing was <laughs> I barely knew what I was doing, but I did it. And we did the orange retro set of dark shadows cards and you put them next to the magenta and the green and, and they're right there. It's, it's like, it's it, you know? Um, so I was really happy about that. Now we did a show, uh, dark shadows convention at the New York, uh, Marriott at the trade center a week before nine 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was very eerie. I bet it was. A week later to realize that whole thing was destroyed. Mm. Um, it was, it, it, it just sent chills up my spine, you know, but we had a really good reception for the card set. I got some of the actors to sign a lot of my cards from, from myself, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I remember hanging out with Denise Nickerson. She was the blueberry girl in Willy Wonka. Oh yeah. She was a dark shadow for a, a, a little stint there. And she was so funny. And I had, I did a Denise Nickerson card and she goes, you know, I'm so dumb. I didn't bring anything for people to sign. I gave her a whole stack of the cards. I said, here, they could sign these. You could sell them. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was nice. really nice. Nice. Oh, I bet she loved that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, that was dark shadows. Now, Scream Queens was in there too. Uh, Scream Queens magazine. And, uh, Mick Lucci had me doing some like comic strips in there and, um, uh, you know, little gag cartoons and things like that. And, and that was a lot of fun. Didn't I you... got to go to the zombie jamboree <laughs> and, uh, I was sitting next to Gay and Wilson who, you know, at the time was, still riding high on his with his cartoons in the New Yorker. His, he was kind of like a Charles Adams type, you know, but, uh, that was a lot of fun. Oh yeah. And didn't you also do some concept drawings for some Hollywood films? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, one was a Dean Coons story. 
just so long ago now. I'm like, really? Cause you know, nobody thought to save anything. It's like, you know, you, you, you know, you get paid, <laughs> you don't save anything. Like I, I used to have like all the, you know, the drawings and, and the tracing paper, uh, drawings and all that. And, oh yeah. And, uh, the one thing that I actually got a screen credit for was this movie called Star Kid. And it was the kid from Jurassic Park that Joe, Joe, uh, I can't even remember the name now. But he finds this alien suit. Oh, yeah, I know he exactly gets- what you're talking about. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? I know. I yeah. remember that movie. Yeah, and it had the guy from uh, that '70s show in it. Uh, he played the uh, the sister's boyfriend or something. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So uh, Tom Renoni was in charge of the special effects at the time, and and he calls me up and he goes, "John, I need you to design a a, a spaceship for me." But he goes, "You don't have to worry about building anything. They're, they're going to do it on the CGI." I said, "Okay." So. So I did the Trelkin uh, war cruiser that you see at the beginning. Oh, that's cool. That's <laughs> yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was the, it's like the, the other stuff I worked on didn't, didn't get a screen credit, but was like, I did a, what the hell? I, I can't remember now. A Gnostic book. It looked like, uh, it looked like a medieval scene on it you know it was like a demonic yeah book uh i haven't thought about i haven't thought of this stuff in such a long time i remember uh one of the projects that i did fedex dropped it off at the wrong location oh Oh, no (laughs) the director was was like where where is it I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> they they finally retrieved it, but that was probably why my hair is white now. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, John, so, John, I got to tell you that there aren't many people uh, who have done uh, so much in their life that uh, they can hardly remember the movies they were involved in. Yeah, <laughs> it was, uh, you know. <laughs> It was a it was a weird time too, you know. It was like we we just bought this house in Brazil Park, and uh, it was a really old house too. It was like built in 1918, and I remember, you know, being in a basement. Boy, do I miss having a basement? That's where I did all my messy artwork, you know. Oh yeah, no basements in Florida. <laughs> yeah, zero. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, I remember underneath the flooring, there was rolled up newspapers. I guess they used to use them for insulation. And I, I pulled these newspapers out. I'm thinking there's going to be money in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, no money. They were just old newspapers. But they were like talking about President Wilson and all that. I was like, this is really cool. Yeah, you it know? is. They were crumbling. You know, uh, it was just, it was like being an archaeologist for a little bit there. 
pulling those things out. Imagine being in there for like, you know, a hundred years. Hundred years, sure. Oh, when the sure. house was yeah. first built. When the house was first Crazy. built. Crazy. Nineteen nineteen. It was a Sears modern home that you ordered from a catalog. Really? <laughs> it was the Winona model, but it was built in reverse. And uh it turns out because Roselle Park was in such close proximity to the railroad, a lot of Sears modern homes are in Roselle Park. Basically, what you had to do was you had to construct the foundation, and then they would sh- drop ship all the parts, put the house together. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sears modern home. It's crazy. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah, and you've lived in one. Uh-huh, a true <laughs> DIY. And and it was really nice because the walls weren't sheetrock. They were like lace and 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 metal framework underneath, you know, that so you had archways and things that you can't do with sheetrock really. Yeah. So it was it was nice. Uh the only thing is back then nobody had closets. They had uh, armors for their clothing and so on. Right. So uh, a couple of additions were made. Like in the bedroom, they, they had knocked through the wall and made a closet. And then in the, in the living room, which used to be living room, dining room, guy put like a look like from the Brady Bunch, you know, the sliding wood paneling kind of doors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the 50s or early 60s. Yep. And what's funny is that when you open the closet, the original wallpaper was still intact. And it was like, there was like velour and there was metallic accents to it. And it was beautiful. Like, wow. Oh, turn of the century kind of, uh, uh, you know, again, like archaeology. Still no money, though. <laughs> <laughs> you have certainly, you have certainly lived the life, though. Oh, how, absolutely. How many people could make a a career out of uh, you know doing their artwork? There's very few people really who can who can do that. Oh, I agree. And John, you've been quoted as saying, uh, "When you get up in the morning and uh, you're doing what you love to do, you feel like you're not working." So I guess you haven't worked very much. No, no. But I am enjoying sleeping in now. <laughs> that is always nice, mm-hmm. especially if lie. you're, uh, especially if you're a musician and doing a late night gig. Uh, are you still into your music? Um, actually, I had to move from the Tampa area to Davenport so I could be commuting distance to Orlando, because at some point, um, President said, how come our artist doesn't work out of the office? (laughs) (laughs) So for 11 years, I worked at from home, you Mm -hmm. know, without a problem. Mm -hmm. So uh, I embraced going into the office. You know, I met a lot of good people. And also I was able to work on children's books, uh, you know, picture books and things like that to, uh, to do things that I've never done before. So, you know, working with the editor and the managing editor. So it was it was a good 
it was a good run. And then all of a sudden we had pandemic and guess what? Johnny's working back from home again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Full circle. Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. Full circle. So now I'm here and what I could, I could really, really thank my realtor for finding this place. I live in a community that used to be a short-term vacation rental community, and it's still zoned for that. Oh. So if I, wanted to, if I wanted to move out of here and keep it as a rental and just rent it out to vacationers, I could do that. My problem is I got too much stuff here. Mm-hmm. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Oh, you know, the house is like a, a museum mm-hmm. when people mm-hmm. come to see it. Everybody we've talked to from Ripley's uh, says the same thing. Their house is like a museum. <laughs> yeah. I how, mean, could there's it, a lot. how could it not be? I know. I mean, I collect so many different things. And, and uh, you know, my big thing was uh, old model kits from the 60s, like the monsters and all that kind of stuff. But my eyesight is not what it used to be. So it's not a pleasurable experience anymore to work on these models. So. I'm slowly selling them off and I'm probably selling them to people that are my age, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's all right though. I still, I still uh, have other things, you know, I'm a big enthusiast of the, uh, 1964, 65 New York world's fair. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I love that. It was like a fantasy land, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I wish, I, yeah, I wish I could have gone, but I had a baby sister at the time that was only two, so we didn't get to go. Oh. <laughs> well. But I've relived it through slides and photos and viewmasters. Yeah. Viewmaster, yeah. <laughs> All the viewmaster packs. <laughs> so, uh, oh, that's, so that's better than nothing. Good. Yeah. So, that's John, yeah. You, you have truly had uh, some incredible experiences, and you have so many memories that uh, you know uh, you've you've got a, a led a very rich, rich life. And a richness doesn't always uh, translate into dollars. Richness comes from right. the uh, experiences that we collect along the way, and well, how, I believe that. How uh, we actually make the world a better place. Exactly. And it's obvious to us that you have spent years and years and years making the world a better place, bringing entertainment and joy to people who always are in need of entertainment and joy. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, look look at what happened during the Depression. People shelled out a buck for each of those Ripley books. That's true. And same thing with when King Kong came out in 1933. Nobody had money, but they had money to go see King Kong. Mm-hmm. That's also mm-hmm. very true. People yeah. love entertainment. Yeah. They yeah. need escape. Yeah. Either they liked yep. King Kong or Fay Ray. I'm not sure which one was. Fay Ray probably was a big draw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, she was gorgeous, wasn't she? Yeah. Yes, she yeah. was. Yeah. Well, John, we want to thank you so much for being a part of our uh, podcast uh, this evening. And um, if you have uh, one uh, final thought for us, uh, we would love to hear it. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Um, 
I, I'm doing sketch cards now, which are original pieces of art. And mostly the, the uh, universal monsters and things like that. So uh, you could see them on my uh, Facebook page. And yeah, so if you want to own a piece of original art, a trading card size, and they're pen and ink and watercolor, and and uh, they're a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay, and uh, tell our listeners again how we can find that or wherever you may ha- be, happen to be selling collectibles. Uh, yeah. Um, my uh, my handle on eBay is Grasman, and uh, you can look me up on Facebook as uh, John Anthony Graziano, and I'll pop right up. Okay. Awesome. And Grasman is spelled G-R-A-Z-M-A-N. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've got that word out, and I think that's going to be one of the first things that Gary and I check out, right, Gary? Yes, I will be. I'll be uh, going on <laughs> eBay because I am a very big eBay collect, uh, you know, shopper oh, yeah. for collectibles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's addicting. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, though. My, my dad started me on collecting pennies, you know, Lincoln cents back mm-hmm. in 1968. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, little did he know. <laughs> Some of those Lincoln cents can go for hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And last year, I completed my collection. Ooh. Ooh, so wow. from 1909 VDB all the way to 2022. And this is the last year they're making Lincoln cents. Oh, I didn't oh, know wow. that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So you've got them all. I've got them all. I've come full circle with that. And I think oh, Dad wow. would like that, you know. <laughs> oh, John, that's terrific. Thank you so much once again Absolutely. for being with us uh, this evening. We really appreciate you and all you have done. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Our pleasure indeed, Absolutely. right, Gary? Okay, meanwhile, Absolutely. until the next time, I'm Richard. And I'm Gary, and this was an incredible story. Absolutely. <laughs>